0: you're listening to two guys talking wine with michael pincus and andre prue
1: hello michael andre how are you
0: um if people haven't figured out we are uh, not in the same place which um is kind of unusual because we've been doing a lot of recording at the toronto studio
1: we have and we're going to be doing some stuff in the uh, niagara studio uh this summer so we're we're thrilled by that. We're going to get some really great winemakers in. Angelo Pavan's going to come in. Uh, we'll sit down with, with Thomas again. We're going to get that guy. Uh, I can't remember his name.
0: <laughs> so where, where the hell are you, Michael?
1: I, well, I'm in Tuscany. I have a very good friend, uh, Krister Bicklum uh, from Norway, who, believe it or not, hold on, he's the number, is the ninth rated, 19th. 19th. Oh, sorry, 19th most respected wine writer in the world, but he's always a number two to me.
0: A poop joke? Really? That's the best you could do?
1: <laughs> oh, really, yeah. Really?
0: really? Yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> How
0: do you become number 19, and who is rating you?
2: Oh, uh, well, I, I don't know.
1: People who voted, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So people vote, and he was rated number 19 in the world. So he's top 20.
2: Well, Congratulations! It's, it's, it's this competition where where you get um, what do you call it? You get um, rated. You get um, to be in the competition. Wine producers have have said who they think are the
1: most trustworthy critics. Oh, there you go. And then consumers are rating. Oh, there you go. That's how it happens. And I guess there's enough people in Norway that like him and vote for him. Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's fantastic. That's you know what I think it's, it's I I do think it's great that there's a mechanism in place to rate the trustworthiness of writers. Um, I mean, not that Michael and I need to get off of our soapbox here, but I, I do think that the, in Canada we do have an issue right now with being able to trust writers, especially new and up and coming writers, because there's very little. Disclosure in terms of who's paying who to promote what brands,
2: but uh, you know I, I think it's a general thing that the wine industry needs to Have a look on who's up and coming as wine critics because everybody they quote Are the age of my my parents so they are closing in or above retirement age, so you know yeah, of course Genesis Robinson is a legend, but she's also Turning 70 this year, so she's not sort of the next voice of the wine industry. Uh, absolutely no disgrace whatsoever to Genesis Robinson, she, she is the queen of wine, but maybe you should try to see who will be the next queen of wine, or
1: king, or whatever. And that queen could be you. Yeah, probably not. <laughs>
0: <but> <laughs> so, Michael, we, we, we talked briefly before we got into this, even though you're in Tuscany, you haven't actually had a chance to taste a lot of wines yet.
1: No, we really uh, just got started uh, yesterday. We did uh, Chianti Lovers. Uh, yeah. Then we today started on the Chianti Classico. So we're about halfway through. So I've got n- uh, sadly nothing to report quite yet. Uh, then we're off to San Gimignano, Montepulciano, and uh, Montalcino. So by the end of this whole thing, when you and I are back in the studio together, I'll have lots to tell you about Brunello's and Vino Noveles and Chianti Classico and uh, San Gimignano's uh, Vernaccia. But at the moment we're like in the middle of, we've been there two days out of nine. So yeah, just the beginning. Well, I, I saw, I, I saw, I decided some... that sorry, talking to, to Krister um, because he, he specializes as we specialize in Ontario. He specializes in uh, Bordeaux and Burgundy. And when he said that, I was like, well, Andre seems to have a hard-on these days for Burgundy. So instead of always talking to Thomas, maybe we get another take on both Bordeaux and Burgundy. I think everybody's got a hard-on on on Burgundy these days. So, you know, it'd be interesting to uh, get another uh, pair of eyes, uh, another palette, and uh, another person's reviews on these things.
0: Yeah, I I think that'd be great. Yeah, I have been focusing a lot on, on Burgundy. I know I've said it on the podcast many times, but if you're new to the podcast... Uh, I've started a small wine company in Niagara. We work as a virtual winery, and uh, we've chosen to work with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay because I feel that Niagara, it's well-suited to the climate, and I'll be honest, it's been very nice to not be stressing about harvest in October when many people are still forced to let their Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc hang. So the problem I've still been having with... um, Burgundy, though, as I've been going on my journey of self-discovery, is it is really expensive.
1: He does that cloth, by the way. Okay. <laughs> huh? Sorry, Andre, go ahead. I, I said s- you do that self-discovery thing clothed, which is always good.
0: What do you mean? Oh, yeah, clothed. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Most,
2: most people do, but...
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is it is a lot of fun without taking your clothes off, but the, the problem I'm having is that to, to get... Good Burgundy to get decent Burgundy. It's very expensive.
2: You know, Michael Broadbent, I think, said that you should always have sex in your favorite vineyard. But maybe if that is with or without quotes, I'm not going to go into. I don't know. <laughs> so I what is So
0: it. I guess first question: What is your favorite vineyard?
2: Favorite vineyard? Oh, I I'm actually a big. Uh, I, I really love uh, Chambartin I think I probably like Chambartin a bit more than most Burgundy producers who tend to be in Von Romane uh, I, I think there's just something about the florality and the, and the, the sort of power uh, and finesse and also a lot of people would like Claude de Bess uh, a little bit better than Chambartin but I think Claude de Bess is, is more masculine is more more um, Powerful, uh, but lacks some of the, the pure elegance and Delightfulness. I also really like Meusini, but Musigny tends to be so expensive. You don't really taste it that much
1: What are your thoughts on saint Anne?
2: Yeah. Uh saint could can be good uh, Now with a little bit warmer climate, it, it tends to be a little bit riper. They used to be a little bit on the rustic side um, but of the sort of lower um, appellations, I tend to like uh, for whites, Saint-Romain. I think those wines have a very, very nice freshness. Uh, I think uh, Mercure
1: is is getting better and better. Crazy uh, about a Mercury, Andre, you know that.
0: Yes, Michael, you say that every chance you get. You know it's a very, very old joke.
2: We see a
1: lot of saint that's why I asked. Yelcibio seems to be bringing quite a bit of Santana lately. Well, the
2: thing is that, you know, I, I'm from Norway. We have a monopoly as well, and they always need to consider price. And then, of course, Santiné, you know, the prices of Burgundy is crazy. I've been doing wine for 20-something years now. I remember when, when um, uh, Volnay was a hard sell at uh, 18, 19, 20 euros a bottle, and you couldn't really sell it. And that was the 2005 vintage, which was, which was great. Today, everybody would buy palettes of a 20 euro volnay and now the volnay is 70 euro and it's selling more than ever so it, it's a bit strange that the more expensive these ones seem to get the the easier they are to sell which is the opposite of most wine regions so uh, i think the the um, it, it's uh, i think it's great for the uh, so-called lesser uh, appellations like Santana and meursault because all of a sudden they get a few euros more for their bottles Uh, and all of a sudden they can make a quality level which you've never seen before and you can see the same uh in bordeaux as well when finally after 2009 and 2010 or a lot of um, lesser known properties got one or two euros more and all of a sudden they could do the investment they really needed in the in in the uh, winery and all of a sudden the wines are so much more exciting i guess the question
0: i have then is um what advice would you give to someone Listen, I wouldn't say you're new to wine because, let's face it, if you're new to wine, chances are you're not going to go to Burgundy because even the lesser-known Appalachians, places like Santana or Mercury, are still going to be more than you're willing to spend. But if you've yeah. gotten into wine and you really want to dig into the exploration of Burgundy, what's the best place to start, in your opinion?
2: Uh, well, um, Well, I think we've already been into some of these, but I I think actually if you, if you really want to start sort of understanding burgundy, uh, especially reds, which are tends to be 50% more expensive than the same quality white, uh, I think that for red, if you actually start with the cruise of Beaujolais, even if that's Gamay, it's a little different um, uh, variety. Uh, there's similarities in style. Of course, the Gamay is a bit richer and deeper. But I think Gamay and Bachelet cru, like Morbeau and Fleury and stuff like that, is probably where you can sort of explore if you like the style uh, more than more easily uh, than maybe in, in, in with Pinot Noir and Burgundy. Of course, that's a little bit different style, but I think... Uh, and then, of course, going on to m- probably Mercure, Fissin, uh, some of these regions, you have other places as well, but some of these wines need to age a little bit before they sort of polish off their little rusticity when they're young.
1: I had no idea, Andre, that uh, that Christer was going to uh, hit on our ballywick of uh, Gamay. I
0: think it's interesting that um, that Krister suggests uh, Gamay uh, because I think even even amongst the, the wine community, unless you're talking to a fairly hip sum, uh, Gamay is often overlooked and. I know given our monopoly in Ontario, and I have no qualms against being critical, whoever makes the buying decisions for Beaujolais has um, definitely a a taste for a certain style of Gamay that's very one-note, very sour cherry, and uh, the Beaujolais selection at the LCBO is abysmal and often carries a lot of the Dubuff wines, which in my opinion are generally not of the highest quality even when you're dealing with the yeah, cruise. So pretty
2: boring to be honest.
0: So if you're looking if you're looking for Beaujolais to get started, this is where it's going to be a great opportunity to look at your agents. You know, Lifford represents Dominique Piron. I know we've mentioned them a lot on the podcast, but even to get a case of Dominique Piron, some of his uh Morgan is uh I think only 20, 25 bucks a bottle in the, the village is 2025 20, bucks a bottle through Lifford. You need, if, if you are someone who is skeptical of Beaujolais, you need to get away from the LCBO and take a look at what your agents are doing. And feel free to email us. We'll be happy to connect you with an agent who will help you get some good Beaujolais.
2: And if you can find someone like Jean Paul Brun or, or um, Michel Lapierre or some, someone like that, these wines can be really, really exciting.
0: Yeah. And the, and the Lapierre wines, like we're definitely talking about some very exciting, progressive. Wine making. And I know Michael and I are both fairly sceptical of uh, the natural wine movement. And I think understandably so, as there are a lot of very flawed wines making their way to market. But someone like LaPierre uh, is really pushing the envelope in terms of quality and exciting, yeah, because exciting he, wines. You, you
2: could put him probably into the the, the natural wine um, league in one way, but, but he they use enough of the right stuff to make the wines last and they don't oxidize and the bottle variation is quite small so so i think i think they're doing the right approach totally
1: well, yeah we had a uh uh come in through the else that i thought was pretty good andre we recommended it through uh, toronto life
0: yeah but i mean let's face it michael that w- that was a like a one in 20 and you and i tend to when we yes. see that there's a Beaujolais on the tasting panel we're pretty eager to taste it. And like nine times out of 10, we're very disappointed. And then, you know, one times out of one time out of 20, we're just like, Oh, this is okay. And then, you know, one out of 50, we're just like, wow, this is really good. And the, the, there are enough good producers in Beaujolais that the, the ratio should be much higher than that. Uh,
2: But, uh, you know, going back to, you know, if you, if you want to start with, with uh, Burgundy as well, um, I I think that the, the crew bourgeois, uh, no, the crew level of uh, Bourgogne, from the uh, right producers offers tremendous value for money. But I also think that uh, a lot of critics are a little bit too snobbish about uh, going back into the sort of real Burgundy or, or the main Burgundy. I think a lot of wine critics and, and maybe especially um, uh, wine bloggers and sommeliers are a little bit too critic these days to the big negotiants. I think the quality rise of people like Droit, Bouchard, Jadot, um, and also Fevrelli and a few more, uh, Albert Bichot, has gone up quite a bit in the last 10 years. These wines are not that expensive and they're readily available normally. And, And maybe their Bourgogne Rouge lines are a little bit simple but these wines are, tend to be 20 to 40% cheaper than some of the other names when you go a little bit up um, the quality level or or, or um, ladder. And I think you can, uh, most of these wines are made a little bit more traditional, a little bit more wood, but if you give them an hour in decanter and you don't really need a really posh decanter, uh, you just put it in a regular mason uh, jar for God's glass, sake. glass yeah. mug. So if you just give them one hour of air, all of a sudden these wines tend to open really well and they're not that expensive and you can normally find them fairly easily.
0: Well, I'll even give a shout out to Latour, where when I hosted a premiere party for uh, Star Trek Picard. I had a couple of friends who know nothing about <laughs> wine uh, bring over a couple of bottles. They brought over the Latour Chardonnay and the Latour... Uh, Pinot Noir, and both were
1: very tasty. Did you bring your uh, Chateau Picard with you? I don't have any Chateau Picard. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised. I, I figured you'd be looking through that stuff or looking online for that stuff like there's nobody's business. Well, you can't get it in Ontario.
0: I, 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 looked at, I looked ahead for it. You can't get the Chateau Picard from Bordeaux. That doesn't exist at the LCBO. It has been listed at the SAQ in the past, and the special bottling that the Chateau Picard did for... Paramount and for Star Trek is not available outside of the United States.
1: Do you want to plug your latest piece while you're at this?
0: (laughs) Uh, Go to andrewinereview.ca and you can take a look at why you should be drinking Burgundy or Niagara while watching Star Trek Picard. A lot of people have really enjoyed that piece that I've written.
1: And uh, you'll find out why I now believe that Andre is 100% geek.
0: Well, yeah, because I because I told you things. I told you to pay attention to the vineyard stuff when we watched Star Trek Picard because we're both watching this show and you were just like, uh, "Well, there's very little that takes place in the vineyard." I'm just like, "What are you talking about?"
1: You you just you took this way too seriously.
0: <laughs> oh, and I, you know what? I need to give a shout out to Adam Kern. Adam Kern is a winemaker in um, in Niagara. He works for Lundy Manor right now, but. We were chatting a little bit about my piece uh, via text and he was laughing. This is, this is a level of nerdiness that even I didn't realize. There's a moment in the fourth episode where, uh, where the third episode where Picard talks about leaving a month before harvest. But the B-roll that they use of the, the sprayers in the vineyards, it's at bud break. So like the vineyards aren't even come to life and he's saying it's a month before harvest. So, well,
1: in the future, uh, it happens very quickly. A one-month growing season,
0: yeah. So anyways, a shout-out to Adam Kern for being a bigger nerd
1: than I am. Yeah, I can't imagine it, but uh, good for you, Adam. So uh, back on <laughs> uh, to Christer's uh, knowledge base, because believe it or not, he is not a Star Trek person. Well, that's that's I know, Andre, has just falling off his chair. He can't <laughs> believe anybody else he, could not be that big a nerd. He just fainted. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. gone. So it's just going to be me and uh, Christer now. He would silence. Yes, he's yeah. he's, dead. he's dead. Well, well Cr- André, Chris, Chris, you know Andre, can somebody throw some water in your face? Yeah, I got it. There? I got
0: it. Chris, Chrisy, let me fire off another question for you. Any um, uh, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that my bloodstream at any given time is fifty uh, percent or higher of Chardonnay. Um, what is the best way to navigate the minefield of uh, Burgundy? If you're trying to get into into Chardonnay, but maybe you're gun-shy on picking up something that's a little bit too oaky.
2: Well, I, I, again, I think, well, too oaky, I would uh, actually do the same as uh, I was going to suggest. Also, if you are a bit price sensitive or, or just starting, try Chablis first. Uh, okay. Chablis tends to have less oak, uh, and it tends to be less rich, tends to be more focused and, uh, if you want to have producer, you, you know, Burgundy is like, uh, everybody says Bordeaux is so much easier because you just have to know the name of the Chateau. Well, actually Burgundy is the same. Of course, there are a huge amount of people in Burgundy, which are called nearly the same because you're in each village. There's, um, most of these people are, are cousins or, or third cousins or something. Uh, but so, so you have like, 25 producers called more something or, or something like that. But you, you know, if you, you, you just need to find a producer you like, which of course isn't simple. You need to trust some critic probably if you're not going to buy 200 bottles before you find something. But, but, um, if you, if you, when, when you know a name, you, you can start to ask people, okay, I like this producer. So, who makes wines in similar style. Uh, And again, uh, in Burgundy, a producer's name is much more important than a vineyard name. Uh, I think a producer's name is even more important than the vintage, even if vintages in Burgundy are more important than most places because it's fairly uh, cold climates even today. But uh, if you like a producer and their style, you will probably always like that producer in every vintage and every vineyard. It, of course, it, it, it you you can't buy burgundy without sort of having some interest. You, you you need to spend a little bit of time to learn about it. It's not a easy. It's the worst world's most difficult wine region. so you you need to put a little bit
1: of effort into it. Well yeah. you take a note, Andre.
0: I, I am. And I mean, if you're looking, so if you're if you're looking to get into into Burgundy, and I guess the great news is uh, you see a lot of bottles that say Premier Cru. I mean, when you're looking at Bordeaux, for example, Premier yeah, Cru's...
2: Yeah, but there are producers in Burgundy who make a, a um, village wine, which is better than a lot of people's Premier Cru and sometimes even better than uh, some people's Grand Cru. So the the level of vineyards, if you want to do the simple, find producers you like and just buy from, from, from those producers and people with similar style. If you want to go all the way into vineyards if you know if you have uh, 10 wines from a vineyard uh, next to each other those 10 wines will have a bigger difference than uh, five different vineyards on the same quality level from one producer so the the producer is by far the most important in burgundy well there you go that's, that's which is a bit strange there. because everybody in burgundy will say that uh, the terroir is so important, but, you know, these plots are tiny. So you, ha- when you have one guy who has six rows of, of wines in one vineyard and he makes uh, wines that, you know, you could die happy drinking a glass of that wine. And then the neighbor, the neighboring six rows or three rows, makes the shittiest wine you've ever tasted. It's underripe. It just doesn't have anything. And then the guy beside him again makes another wine, which once makes you want to go to paradise immediately. So, you know, terroir is one thing, but in Burgundy, the win- winemakers are pretty good at showing you that the, the man or the woman is actually more important than the vineyard, even if the vineyard is important. Within one um, producer's profile, you can always see that the, the system of the or, or the level of quality that's sort of um, known from each vineyard uh, works. And it works within the uh, not so good producers portfolio and it works within the great producers portfolio. But every wine from the great producer will be better than the best wine from the not so good producer. So the producer's name is always what you need to know. Of course, everybody knows the names of the greatest producers. So those guys are always very expensive. So the thing is, who are the people coming up that's where you can still get some value for money
1: so that that would lead us to our next question i don't know if we'll ever see it in the lcbo but i'm sure we'll have some uh, some agents that are bringing this in who would you recommend as some of these great producers coming up that come to the top of your head i'm sure
2: well for example there's a guy well these wines are anyway expensive because it's in one romanet, but uh, like Georges Nolat. Is an up-and-coming producer. He's young; he's twenty-something years old. Uh, the family also on a, a champagne house. I don't remember from the top of my head which one, but the the um, when his grandmother owned this estate, it, it was quite boring. Uh, the wines were not particularly interesting, but they have uh, more than hundred-year-old wines in their Echezeaux, and when all of a sudden he came in and actually wanted to make high-quality wines, all of, he had. You had the possibility, so you, you just needed the knowledge how to make good wine, and all of a sudden you have this name coming from nowhere, which is absolutely stunning and fantastic. Um, and uh, there's, um, the thing is, you know, it, there, there are a few names, but the problem is how to get them. How Are they available in, in, in the market? Because, uh, well, you know, well, even here's... in my market, th- these this producer is not available. Here's maybe a, a
0: a better question, then, um, because I, I know we talk a little bit on the podcast, and I'm I'm a big fan of, of wine tourism, um, and it's it's just preparing yourself before you go. Um, I have a lot of friends who are French who swear by the guide hachette, so you do need to speak French to kind of understand this book, but it's been a great resource to help find some smaller producers who are off the beaten path. It's how I discovered... Uh, Christian Bergeret et Fee, and that's a, a winery I'm definitely looking forward to visiting if I go back to Burgundy in the fall here. But do you have any resources? I, I mean, apart from being a writer yourself, do you have any resources that you like to check when you're looking for other people who are talking about the up-and-coming people?
2: I, I always think it's good to, to, to follow um, Jasper Morris, Master Wine, who wrote Inside Burgundy, and I think uh, there's a Danish guy called... Um uh, well, his website is called WineHog. Uh, he focuses on on uh, Burgundy. He's uh, called Stan Erman. I think he has he also has some very interesting articles on on um, um, vineyards and who owns plots, which sometimes can be, you know, if you're getting really nerdy and geeky, sometimes it's interesting to see who owns plots next to each other because sometimes that gives you an answer why some people are not able to make, as good wines as the others. If everyone is on the north n- north of a vineyard who makes the great wine uh, from this vineyard uh, and uh, everyone who makes a little bit more bland wines are in the south, for example, just make it simple. That might tell you something that there's a difference in the terroir.
1: We've already learned that my podcast partner is nerdy and geeky, so that should be right up his alley. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm, I'm on Amazon. Um, I'm on Amazon right now it looks like i can only find white wines of burgundy by jasper morris for 381 dollars
2: oh that's um, quite expensive yes it is he had a bible I, I have no idea how how many pages it is but it's like 15 centimeters uh, thick yeah called inside burgundy and that's probably 800 pages or something he he i'm, I'm not sure if he's the buyer of Barry Brosson Rudd in London anymore, but he used to be at least, so so he, this guy knows. I, th- I don't think there's many people who knows more about Burgundy than he, than he does. But, uh, wine, wine have, wine, um,
0: winehog, winehog.org, I'm on the website right now though and I've bookmarked it. It's a. It looks like a, a website just full of information, it's going to take a yeah, bit for um, me to through it.
2: Everything is Burgundy. Really, yeah. Um, and you also, of course, have Al Meadows. I, don't, uh, I haven't uh, really read him that much. Uh, I, I tend to find the info I need either from Jasper or from Winehog, but, but uh, I think probably if you want to follow Burgundy more closely, you should probably also follow uh, Al Meadows and probably also um, uh, William Kelly, who writes for Wine Advocates. Um, you know, it's good to have a broad view because Burgundy is is more complex than anything else. So, so um, I think it's good to Burgundy, especially, is good to have uh, many sources.
0: And, and Chris, sir, uh I guess since we're we're getting to the end of at least this episode, I'm not sure if you want to stick around so we can tackle Bordeaux. But why don't you give a plug for where where do you write? Where can I read your work?
2: Uh, well, uh, I. Uh, have a website called Be My Burgundy, uh, which has uh, some 6,000 or so tasting notes from uh, from um, Burgundy on 270 producers or something like that. Uh, that's um, that's under construction, as we say. So this is this is uh, absolutely not complete yet, oh. but it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a start and. Um, and this is uh, this is a little bit boring because there's no articles there yet it's only tasting notes from each producer so so if you want to compare tasting notes you can have some information there but you can't really read about the difference between Chambolle or jvd if you want to explore that at least not yet Um I'm, I'm right now i'm sort of in the transition between few things so I'm I'm building a new website but uh, I, I haven't even found a name yet that's how new it is
0: Jesus Michael he's being so modest uh, I think Christer could be Canadian right now what the, the web his yes, website yes. looks great it is it is a lot of tasting notes but I mean if you're looking for a shopping list there's good tasting notes and scores I'm on the website right now it's B the letter B my yeah wow you're wait oh
1: he's right there he's right on this thing. <laughs> Yeah, so Andre Mike, lives on the computer. So Michael, uh, and,
2: Michael, and, and by the way, if you, and if you, thats a little bit important. If if you go on on your phone, you need to click on the uh, on the uh, computer version because that's how you get the 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 alphabetical order list of all the producers. Otherwise, you have to scroll for ages to maybe find your producer. So that's just a little tip. If you're on the, if you're on a tablet or, or on your computer, you, you get it on the right side. But if you're on a cell phone, you need to push the computer version. So Michael, anything
0: you're looking forward to in the next few days?
1: Um, I'm I'm going to a dinner at uh, Valdesuga. I know that you are going. Christ is going to one at um, Koldorcha we're also going to check out some beyond santi wines and uh, I've, I've, uh, uh I've there we go and we're going to um, um
2: what's her name uh, senelli colombini
1: yes uh so there's there's lots going on here uh that we'll have i'll plenty to talk about as long as i can remember it and stay sober <laughs>
0: I don't know. Yeah. Taking a look at that, at those pictures that are popping up on Instagram of you guys, it looks like you're having a much better time than we are here in Toronto.
1: Well, you still—it's uh, surprising. I was talking to Krister about the weather in Norway, and they're having the same kind of winter we are. So. so it's a mild, mild, oh, pretty, mild yeah. winter. A what?
0: Mild winter and lots of snow. Uh,
2: mild winter and no snow.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird, I but I'm I've not had
2: like one centimeter of snow in my garden this uh, year, so it's nothing. Oh wow. Well we're
0: supposed to get five centimeters tonight in Toronto. We'll see how that goes. So should we have Krister back
1: for uh, for Bordeaux,
0: Andre? Yeah, let's do that. Let let, let me let's sign this off and then uh, we'll let the tape roll. So um, remember, check out our Patreon. We appreciate the support. Thank you for th- taking the time to take a look at it. That's patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. I'm Andre Prue from Andrewinereview.ca.
1: I'm Michael Pingus of Michael and we are here with Mr. Bickham from Norway. That's about as good as it gets. You going to say it? Good night. Thanks for
0: listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon.
1: A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of iSellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake, or check out their website, at Find out how
0: you can support us, like Adnan, by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine.